0: This podcast is brought to you by the Village of Bedford Park, your home for business. Over 450 businesses strong and growing with a safe, reliable Lake Michigan water supply. Visit vobpbiz.com and bring your business home to the Village of Bedford Park.
1: Temp check. What kind of summer are we having this year?
2: Now, the WBBM Noon Business Hour.
3: It's 12.03, September 27th. Good afternoon, and thanks for joining us for the Tuesday edition of the WBBM Noon Business Hour, presented by the Village of Bedford Park. I'm Rachel Pearson, filling in for Rob Hart. Well, McDonald's is looking to make adults happy, while Chipotle bringing on the robots. We'll cover all of that in our next segment. But right now, the report on home prices is out, while the Fed's money policies remain the topic of daily discussion. We're joined now by Diane Swank, chief economist at KPMG here in Chicago. And Diane, let's first start with the Fed, as it really is top of mind for most investors uh, right now. Certainly expanded worries of a a recession. Are those concerns uh, uh, founded in fact?
0: Well, I do think we are going to go into a recession. I think the Fed has made clear that even in their own forecast, they see an increase in unemployment, although it would be a mild recession, an increase in unemployment in 2023 as they slow the economy down below its potential to keep a lid on unemployment. And that's because the labor market is one of many factors adding to inflation today. They'd like to have a very mild increase in unemployment and slowly grind inflation down over the course of a year rather than have something that's a much sharper, more scarring recession. They see this as the lesser of two evils. Can't, the inflation we see is like a cancer. If you don't deal with it, it metastasizes and could be something more chronic and require a much more deeper and scarring recession down the road. But that's a hard thing to sell to the public. And I do think there's this a third leg of the fed's dual mandate, and that is financial stability and you're starting to see that reflected with intention within the Fed about how fast they're raising rates and needing to get catch up on inflation that got ahead of them
3: and again, all of this has some far reaching impacts uh, Can you tell us about not only investors uh, but maybe home buyers car loan I mean just all of the the facets that are being impacted by this.
0: No, absolutely. Now, we did see a nice increase in new home sales today, but when you put them together with the existing home sales, there are some people trying to snap up the last, and what they saw were low rates, and that helped new home sales, but took down the supply of homes quite dramatically yet again, and existing home sales are still down dramatically. We've really seen sales and construction activity crater, but also on people's attitudes about buying anything related to the home. Remember, homes, you know, when you buy a home or you get a Apartment, it triggers a lot of new spending. Well, when you're not doing that as much, it works in reverse and everything related to housing, like appliances, furniture, you know, carpeting, all the things you put into homes. Some of those prices have come off, but also so is the spending on that. Even things like vehicles, which are still in short supply, the um, attitudes about buying vehicles have deteriorated because it's much more expensive to buy a vehicle now than it once was.
3: If we widen our scope beyond the housing market, what are we seeing as far as consumer confidence in general?
0: You know, consumers, there's a difference between confidence and sentiment, these different measurements. One is much more sensitive to inflation than the other. We have seen some improvements after record low rates on sentiment in July, which are by the Michigan index that. Is more sensitive to inflation and prices at the gas pump, to be honest with you. Those ones that have come back from their lows, we'll get another read on it on Friday. And that's good news um, in that they've come off a record low. I mean, this goes back to the 1960s here. It's still in what is well into recession territory. The Consumer Confidence Index, measured by the Conference Board, which more closely tracks the labor market, not surprisingly, much more buoyant and resilient. And that gives you the tension that the Federal Reserve is having to deal with, and that is that the persistence of the strength of the labor market, that's not something bad per se, but if it Costs us in terms of inflation, and everything we gain in wages and then some has been eroded by inflation. Many consumers already feel like they're in a recession, even though technically we're still generating a lot of jobs. Thanks
3: so much, Diane Swonk, chief economist at KPMG here in Chicago. Coming up, McDonald's offers up a new Happy Meal, but it's not for kids. Cash,
2: credit, debit, and totally free. The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues.
3: McDonald's is trying out its Happy Meal on an older demographic, while Chipotle is turning to technology to help make its chips. Let's get the latest from R.J. Hadavy, head of analytical research at foot traffic analysis firm Placer AI here in Chicago. And R.J., uh, let's start with McDonald's, because I spoke with Cisco Cotto this morning and he joked, are we getting an Xbox and a Happy Meal? (laughs) And I don't think it's going to be that good of a deal, but McDonald's is sort of trying to tap into an older demographic by bringing Happy Meals for adults. What can you tell us about it?
4: Yeah, it, it, you're right. It's a it's unique twist on the on the Happy Meal, uh, the classic Happy Meal product, and really in a lot of ways, it's an extension of the celebrity meals that the company has run with Travis Scott and uh, Jay Balvin and, and others. And our foot traffic data shows that these have been extremely successful. Typically, the company sees between a five to twenty percent lift in visits the week after they uh, or the week they run those compared to prior weeks. And so this is a, a partnership they're running with a streetwear brand called Cactus Plant Flea Market. Uh, I think this drive a, a lot of people in the stores. I think this is something that there'll be a lot of curiosity and kind of playing on the theme of nostalgia uh, in a lot of ways, too. The, the, I think the important thing is it doesn't add a lot of complexity. Uh, we've seen innovation slowly come back to the quick service restaurant market the last couple of months. Uh, but I think those things that really kind of uh, drive attention without overly com- making things complex, complex at the restaurant are really the key to making these things work.
3: Now, I'm curious what's actually inside this Happy Meal and how is it different than, than say, a value meal?
4: Uh, it really is not that different, but I, I think the packaging and the idea that this is something scarce, this is something unique. Uh, it's a popular streetwear brand, and they do have some uh, unique toys that go along with it. Uh, but ultimately, at the same time, it's the you know the same kind of things that you would get. I think a ten-piece McNuggets, a hamburger, uh, you know, very very straightforward. But I think the nostalgia of this all—the idea that you're getting a Happy Meal box—and uh, you know particularly with the, uh, the partnership with the brand here, too. I think that that's a pretty interesting approach that uh really haven't seen before, but I think we're going to continue to see more of these kind of unique partnerships to drive uh, awareness and visitation.
3: Well, I'm looking forward to the return, hopefully, of Grimace. But let's switch gears now uh, it, over to Chipotle, which is sort of uh, testing. It's, it's turning to robots for some of its uh, production. What can you tell us about that?
4: Yeah, I think if you ask any restaurant operator right now what the biggest issue they're dealing with, and it really is labor and labor scarcity, finding enough workers to to be in the restaurants to make things run, uh, you know, streamlined and on a streamlined basis. And and so I think this is kind of a one way to tackle that Uh, if you can automate some of the processes. Um, we've seen more and more restaurants like to do this. I mean, Starbucks had a big announcement the last couple of weeks about automating a lot of the processes for some of their more complex drinks. And I think this is kind of uh, a very similar approach that Chipotle is taking. If they can take some of the uh, more repetitive tasks in the restaurant uh, and potentially free up uh, employees to do other things, namely getting uh, people through the line quicker. I, I think it's a good thing, and I think everything everybody went. Chipotle is one of the, the few restaurant brands that, if we look, uh, you know, compared to the pandemic, uh, is actually slightly above, or at least you know, kind of right and uh, on par with where they were in terms of visitation trends. And so, right now, it's a matter of getting through people people through the line quickly and getting that uh, peak hour uh, throughput uh, maximized. And so, I think by having something like this and allowing employees. Uh, to really focus on the customer experience. Uh, I think it could, could be a good move. I think it's going to take time to adopt, though. It's one of those things that putting a robot in, it takes some time to really work out the king. So uh, it's not something I expect to see. It should in every restaurant, but I think it is a worthwhile test for the
3: company. That's RJ Hodovey, head of analytical research at Placer AI here in Chicago. Up next, Facebook parent company Meta announces a security crackdown.
1: Temp check. What kind of summer are we having this year?
2: Cashing in with conversation, the WBBM Noon Business Hour continues.
3: Facebook parent company Meta says it d- detected and shut down two separate networks behind covert influence operations overseas. We're joined by Adam Levin, founder of Cyber Scout and author of the book Swiped. Now, Adam, what can you tell us about these uh, covert operations overseas?
5: Well, hi, Rachel. Uh, well, there were two... Two real uh, networks, uh, one was Chinese, one was Russian. The Chinese was much smaller. It was about 80 sites and pages. The Russians was much more uh, comprehensive. It was uh, like 2,000 Facebook accounts and pages were part of it. They And the Russians spent over $100,000 in order to promote the misinformation. Now, the Russian one was dedicated towards smearing the Ukraine. And attacking U.S. sanctions uh, because of the Ukraine war, uh, which seems to be a lot more urgent for Russia at the moment than the U.S. midterms. The Chinese uh, ones were dedicated toward uh, chaos. They they took uh, issues that were hot button issues that are midterm related issues like abortion, gun control, They tried to uh, create the impression that these were real Americans talking like Americans, arguing with Americans about these issues. Uh, So and this is unique for China. Normally, they they create situations where there's an attack on the U.S. and it's directed at the international community. But this one was was trying to sow uh, some discord within the United States involving these hot button
3: issues. So what does this tell us about the ethical obligation of these social media platforms like Meta, which oversees uh, Facebook, especially as we move through, as you mentioned, a very critical election season?
5: Well, it's very important that they stay on top of these things, uh, because you have a lot of people that if they see something on social media, they immediately believe it's the real thing. And a lot of people don't question what they're reading online or how well they know the source. And it can be a very powerful tool for governments and other uh, organizations to influence public opinion. Now, misinformation networks are a lot like seeing a mouse or a cockroach in your house, because if you find one, there's probably a lot more hiding beneath the floorboards. And I know that there is a much more aggressive effort being made by the social media platforms now to try to root out or at least to identify uh, these particular networks and either shut them down or at least bring attention to them.
3: And again, is this something that you'll expect continues? I liked your analogy of of a mice or cockroaches in in your home and that there's there's probably more to come.
5: Oh, this is definitely going to continue. I mean, we saw what happened in 2016. Uh, They tried some in 2018 and 2020. And, uh, you know, no question with what's going on in the world today that there's going to be a major, uh, once again, effort uh, for misinformation and disinformation in order to, Either create chaos or promote a particular storyline. And the favorite ones are hot button issues here and the war in the Ukraine.
3: Thanks so much, Adam Levin, founder of Cyber Scout, based in Phoenix, Arizona. Still ahead in Travel Tuesday, Hurricane Ian having an impact on the cruise industry.
2: This is Chicago's news traffic and weather station, News Radio 1059. The WBBM noon business hour continues.
3: Good afternoon. I'm Rachel Pearson in for Rob Hart, and these are the top stories on News Radio WBBM. Residents of Florida prepare for the arrival of an intensifying Hurricane Ian. This is Bernie Tafoya. The
5: Highland Park City Council meets tonight to discuss what to do with a temporary memorial and an art
3: installation sparked by the 4th of July mass shooting. In Travel Tuesday, Hurricane Ian is disrupting the cruise industry. We'll talk about how to deal with that kind of situation. Plus, there are some questions about how much the hurricane could affect already high oil and gas prices. WBBM business, the market's uh, in the red. The Dow down 214 points, NASDAQ off 24, and the S&P 500 down 21 points. AccuWeather for the rest of today. Sunny skies mixing with clouds and a high of 59 degrees. Temperatures fall to 43 this evening. Hurricane Ian is unleashing its fury on Cuba as it swirls its way toward Florida. Forecasters are warning that the west-central part of the state could be the point of landfall. CBS's Peter King reports from Orlando. This
6: Home Depot store seems to have just about everything people need right now for this hurricane. I'm seeing a lot of people loading plywood into vans or into cars. There's plenty of water, batteries, other supplies. That tells me one of two things. Either... People are already prepared for this storm, or many people are just waiting for the last minute.
3: Forecasters are warning of the possibility of severe flooding due to a major storm surge. The Highland Park City Council tonight will discuss the future of a temporary memorial and art installation that followed the July 4th mass shooting in the northern suburb.
5: A temporary memorial grew at the Veterans Memorial in Highland Park, and a pop-up art memorial started at St. John and Central. But the city says that while both locations have been comforting spaces, many people experience grief and trauma differently and do not do well by having both memorials in such prominent locations. Tonight, the Highland Park City Council will discuss where to move the memorials. It's being recommended that the temporary memorial remain until a permanent one is built. The city has sent letters to hundreds of victims asking their views about the memorials. No decision is expected tonight. Bernie Tafoya, 105.9 WBBM.
2: Money conversation that pays a big dividend. The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues.
3: The WBBN Noon Business Hour is presented by the Village of Bedford Park. Markets are in the red this hour. We're joined now by Jim Welsh, a macro strategist and portfolio manager at Smart Portfolios based in San Diego, California. And Jim, uh, let's talk a little bit about uh, the Fed, because that seems to be weighing on just about everything right now. And there's certainly concern and talk of recession. Is the Fed going to overdo it and push the economy into a recession? What camp are you in?
6: Uh, I'm in and have been in the camp that a recession was likely next year, Rachel. And I think uh, if the Fed comes close to doing what it has said to do, the odds of a recession are really, really high. So that's the camp I'm in.
3: And it's interesting, too, because uh, just uh, recently, the Chicago Federal Reserve President Charles Evans had signaled a little bit of apprehension on on his end about the central bank raising rates too quickly to to fight inflation. Now, that was in contrast to uh, a few Fed officials as well.
6: Right. I mean, this is the first break. That's one of the things that's noteworthy, Rachel, over the last four months, is almost every single member of the FOMC has been saying the same thing in terms of getting rates higher to a restrictive level and then holding them. So Evans' comments is the first time we've seen someone kind of say, well, maybe we're running a little too fast. And I think it might be just a pushback in terms of how markets have reacted. So it is noteworthy. I don't think it changed the landscape quite yet until we see more members, you know, echo uh, Evans's comments.
3: You mentioned uh, market reaction. Stocks just been in decline for, for several weeks now. So what do you say to, to investors who are nervous, who are apprehensive?
6: Well, I'd be happy to offer yesterday's weekly technical review. Someone sends me an email, jimwelshmacro at gmail. I'll send it out to you. Uh, my take here is the market's really oversold, Rachel. We're probably going to get down near 3,600, hold, and get a pretty good snapback rally. But if the past is any guide, when you get this oversold, typically after an initial bounce, there is another decline to lower prices. And I think that's what we're likely to see over the next two to four weeks.
3: Are there certain areas that, that cause concern to you the most?
6: Uh, two things. First of all, what's happening in Britain with their bond yields, Since last Thursday's close, the 10- and 30-year comparable government bonds to our treasuries are up 120 basis points, 1.2%. They are pulling uh, the treasury yields up, uh, you know, in a global bond market. That's what happens. The second thing is that feeds into dollar strength. I honestly think it would be wise for uh, Treasury Secretary Yellen to make a comment that simply says, at current prices, the dollar is overvalued. Other central banks have been intervening to try to support their own currencies. It hasn't succeeded. I think a comment like that from Yellen would really help kind of put a lid on the dollar's rally because that is a sign of liquidity issues and so forth. So those are the two factors, British yields and the dollar.
3: Now, let's talk about maybe some more positive areas, at least from from today. I know consumer discretionary uh, information technology uh, leading sort of the sectors uh, outperforming, at least by this morning's standards.
6: Yeah. Again, when you get into a decline of this intensity, Rachel, everything kind of gets swept up uh, in it. And so you may get one day here, one day there with one sector, or another doing a little bit better. But in this kind of market environment where you're kind of getting a flush, Wall Street has finally gotten woke up to the idea that the Fed is going to raise rates to a restrictive level and then keep them at that level for an extended period of time. The Fed had been saying that for probably two months. Wall Street didn't want to hear. But the, the dot plots from last Wednesday and Powell's after-meeting comments really drove those points home. And that's what we're seeing is a wake-up call a point of recognition, and that's where you get some of the biggest declines.
3: Do you have a, a prediction or a forecast of a time when these markets are really going to be flushed out, reaching that that peak pessimism, if you will?
6: Yeah, I, we're getting closer, obviously. I think it's going to take a while. Uh, I really believe you, you need to see inflation come down. It is going to fall dramatically. Between now and March, I think the CPI will drop under 5%. Uh, We're going to see the economy weaken, and that will give the Fed wiggle room to stop the 75 basis point uh, increase. It's possible that some of those pieces might be in place by November 2nd, but I'm certain they will be in place by the mid-December meeting.
3: Thanks so much. Jim Welsh, macro strategist and portfolio manager at Smart Portfolios based in San Diego. Up next in Travel Tuesday, dealing with disruptions in a planned cruise.
2: An economy of words. The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues.
3: It's Travel Tuesday. Hurricane Ian is set to make landfall in Florida, and that will certainly lead to disruptions for people going on cruises. So let's talk about ways to deal with this type of situation with Hanna Sampson, travel writer at Washington Post. Hanna, great to have you with us. Uh, first, let's talk about how, how the cruise industry itself deals with a storm like Hurricane Ian.
7: Sure. So they've got a lot to practice because they operate in the Caribbean year-round. Um, and at this time of year, it's, they're basically watching the tropics as they heat up and, and working on their contingency plans nonstop. So when something like Ian comes around and Hurricane Fiona um, just, just before this one, um, they start to shuffle their ships around. Um, so you'll see a cruise ship that's supposed to spend uh, a week in the eastern Caribbean They'll, they'll put it west. Actually, in this case, they're taking some out of the west and putting them east to avoid the path of Ian. Um, they're staying out at sea for extra days, um, maybe because in one case, the port of Tampa is closing because that's where the storm was supposed to make landfall. Um, so they'll stay out longer, and maybe people will have their crews extended uh, in a way they, they perhaps you know, would not wish to. Um, and you know they're, they're just kind of doing their best to move these giant, assets out of the way of the path of the storm into calmer waters and then waiting until they know how, you know, how the affected areas fared uh, and then returning to them, uh, you know, pretty quickly.
3: Now, okay, I'm a very type A person and I like to plan every single detail Mm -hmm. of every trip I take. And I'm thinking to myself, if I were on a cruise right now and I thought that I was going, say, near Puerto Rico and now I'm not, uh, I'd be a little disappointed. What, What are passengers doing when something like this happens?
7: This is, this time of year, you really, it's not the time of year for the most type A personalities, I think, <laughs> to go on a cruise because you really got to go with the flow in cases like this. Um, I mean, certainly you you probably would hate to be on a ship that is experiencing giant swells and really bad weather. So I think the attitude is, you know, we want to have a, a, a fun tropical vacation and we want to do it in good, as good weather as possible. So. Um, I, you know, I think people just kind of understand that they're gonna go where they can go where it's safe. And um, if they really had their heart set on like Cozumel, and instead they're going to the Bahamas, they just gotta plan that Cozumel trip for later, and ideally not in hurricane season, uh, because it, there's there's really like you really just gotta let it go if you're on a ship in that case, and uh, and and do. Um, Basically, go where they're taking you and try to enjoy it.
3: Now, you mentioned too the the, the port in, in Tampa. Is that right? That it's that it's is mm-hmm. it shut down? And I'm curious if it's also delayed crews that were set to leave in the near future, and if or if trips have been canceled altogether.
7: So I know that there's at least one. Tampa's not the the busiest port, um, so it's not like a Miami or a Fort Lauderdale where you're going to have a lot of ships throughout the week. Um, I know there is at least one carnival ship that may extend their trip and stay out, either maybe stay at sea or or maybe fit in another stop. I'm not sure what they're going to do, depending on when the port of Tampa reopens. It's it's really a question mark because, you know, Tampa doesn't know what kind of flooding they're going to be dealing with, what kind of infrastructure problems they're going to have. Um, So I would expect that next sailing of that ship to also be delayed. Um, But so far, I haven't seen specifics. I'm sure they'll be communicating with the people who are going to go on that ship. Um, And and I also heard that there's a Jacksonville cruise. Um, Jacksonville could also be impacted, even though it's on the other side of the state.
3: Um, But that's kind of a question mark right now, too. Thanks so much, Hannah Sampson, travel writer for The Washington Post. You can join us at this time tomorrow for Personal Finance Wednesday and still to come, gauging the potential impact of the hurricane on gas and oil markets.
2: Conversation that's on the money. You're listening to the WBBM Noon Business Hour.
3: Well, we discussed the impacts of Hurricane Ian on the cruise industry, but there are also questions about the possible impact of the energy markets. Let's get some insight now from Stephen Shork, principal and co-founder of the Shork Group in Villanova, Pennsylvania. Stephen, I'm guessing that Hurricane Ian probably not going to pose a major threat to the national supply of oil and gasoline, but what could it mean for Florida's supply?
8: Well, actually, it will have an impact for markets east of the Rockies. Because the market uh, in the United States is interconnected through a number of pipelines, that the oil coming in and being produced in the Gulf of Mexico makes its way out across through uh, the United States up into the Midwest and into uh, the East Coast, and then, of course, into Florida. So, certainly at this point, we're looking at a situation where production is being halted in certain areas. Uh, Crude oil uh, platforms in the Gulf are are taking necessary precautions to bring their personnel off, uh, keep them safe, shut in these operations. So now it's a wait and see. How severe is this storm, and does it cause any sort of significant lasting damage to crude oil production and refinery output? So we will see the normal uptick in gasoline prices certainly we are seeing that now that's a function of hoarding people in the direct path of the hurricane traditional will go right to the airports they'll top off their tanks they'll top off they'll uh, load up their jugs for their diesel generators and so forth uh so that should be a temporary blip now it all comes down to how long or if we see any sort of lasting issue For you all in the Chicago area, you're looking at AAA prices of Cook County at about $4.44. You're getting an artificial boost now because the refinery, BP's Toledo, Ohio refinery, went down last week with an explosion. That refinery shut down. So a significant refinery in the Midwest is not producing any product right now, and that is having an outsized effect. Now, in Chicago, what you have to worry about is, Okay, this BP refinery, it's going to be off for the foreseeable future. Now, do we see any damage from Hurricane Ian coming into the Gulf Coast? If that's the case then access to gasoline coming up from the Gulf Coast is going to be uh, challenged. Therefore, you're in a serious situation right now. So hold your breath, Chicago. Hold your breath, Ian. Uh, Excuse me, um, Florida, because it all depends on what Ian is doing. And for you in Chicago, really, when are we going to get that BP refinery back up and running? That's the most pressing issue going into the end of this quarter.
3: Thank you so much for the insight. Stephen Shork, principal and co-founder of the Shork Group in Pennsylvania. His website, theshorkreport.com. That's S-C-H-O-R-K. If you missed any part of today's noon business hour, we'll have the replay podcast available in just a moment at wbbmnewsradio.com and on the Odyssey app. That's A-U-D-A-C-Y. Tune
5: in is the audio platform with something for everyone news. In order to
1: secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively sports. The clock at four. Donchich. The step back three. You bet. Music. You set my world on fire. Yes, and even podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here on TuneIn.
5: Go to TuneIn.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening.
1: It's better over here. After investing billions to light up our network.